on this episode of the IHT Internal Podcast. So it's, it's more, leave us alone, let us take care of people, and don't make it more complicated than, than it already is. As Susan says, uh, Dr. Susan, we're the most regulated industry in the world, even more than nuclear power, which, okay, that's a stunner. So it is. if there's anything they can do, we'd maybe less regulations, but that's probably not going to happen in the near term. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 17 of the St. Luke's IHT Internal Podcast. My name is Reed Steffen, VP and CIO of St. Luke's Health System. And that voice you just heard is Jeff Seelig, Vice President of External Relations here at St. Luke's. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be lucky 17. Yeah, that is a lucky number. I think, in fact, in hotels, don't they normally skip that that floor or they add an extra floor maybe because it's so lucky? You may be thinking of 13, uh, maybe, but yeah. Yeah. my numbers wrong. They're both prime numbers though, right? I believe so. Okay. But so I we'll, went to uh, Catholic school, so sometimes <laughs> they, I can spell. We will exit the math portion of this podcast right now because I think we're both out of our depth there. So at least I am. Uh, okay, Jeff, we always kick off with a segment called Getting to Know a Leader in Three-ish Questions. And so question one, today is election day, and I know that you know that. I did notice you don't have a I voted sticker on. Like, I don't, not judging you, but I was surprised to not see that. Um, true or false? I have voted. Okay, well, so that is true. So that's not the question, okay. though. Uh, I'm not surprised, by the way. True or false? Because you're so intimately involved in just the, all the political machines in the state, you have accurately predicted the results of every single race on the ballots today in the state of Idaho. <laughs> and you're going to stand by those predictions. I definitely will. Okay. Until they're wrong. <laughs> so in about a couple hours, you'll yes, have to that'll be wrong. issue a mea culpa. Okay, very good. Uh, okay, question two. And this is the, this is my favorite one. This is a lot of fun. And I'm really excited because you have such a, a, a deep and an incredible kind of background in your career and just in life. Take a few minutes and just share with us your education background, your career journey, the roles you've had, everything that's led to where you are today here at St. Luke's. Wow, that's a loaded question. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was born in Iowa City, Iowa. We moved to Twin Falls, Idaho when I was four years old. Uh, For the culture? For the culture, okay. most definitely. Okay. But also for the hardware store. Ever since they came over on the boat in 1880, we think, from Czechoslovakia, yeah. they've been in the hardware business. So in 1964, there was one hardware store and four family members. My father, his father, an uncle, his uncle, and his brother. And the banker said, somebody's got to go. My dad raised his hand and said, I'm out. He opens up Hardware Magazine and looks in the classified ads and hardware store for sale, Twin Falls, Idaho. And he moves out and buys a hardware store, Kringle's Hardware in Twin Falls, which was owned by Captain Kringle. I don't remember his first name, but... He was a captain in the... It wasn't Chris? Please tell me it was Chris. It was Chris. not Chris. Dang it. Okay. Spelled differently. But he was a captain in the, in, in the infantry in World War One, and, and quite a guy. So that's how I got to Twin Falls and graduated from high school. Uh, went back to Iowa, to University of Iowa to go to school. And uh, it was I graduated in 1980, which was the caucus year. Yeah. And I had the political bug anyway. And I gathered the fraternity and went to the caucuses and was elected a... Uh, to the county convention as a Bush delegate. And that was all I had to move to Washington, D.C. and uh, get a job with the senator from Idaho, Jim McClure. Okay. Which is where I stayed for about 10 years. Uh, 
until he retired. And what kind of work did you do? Well, I was decade? fortunate. The day I got the, uh, the Republicans took over the Senate and his mail <clears throat> tripled uh, when he became chairman of the Senate Energy Committee and the Interior Appropriations Subcommittee. And you need somebody to open mail. So that was my first job at a thousand bucks a month. But it was great because I read every letter that came in and I signed every letter that went out. He had a sort of a SIGI machine and that took about six seconds to run the SIGI machine through one letter. Uh -huh. So I read everything. I knew who could write, who couldn't write, all of his positions, who his friends were. If he, if he addressed Mr. and Mrs. or his Bill and Jane, I knew it was a great education. And How fascinating. So pre-email, so it was all like postal mail. Yeah, and probably yeah, a lot of it. Yes, you're young. You, you know what a post office is? <laughs> yes. There was a ton of it. And uh, uh, things opened up after that, and I ended up as his legislative director, and he ran for majority leader and, and lost and made some staff changes, and then I moved on. It was staff director of the Interior Appropriations Subcommittee, which is what is that a mean? huge job. At the time, there were 13 subcommittees that funded the federal government. Okay. And Interior Appropriations was the Department of Interior and other agencies. So it included Interior and uh, the non-nuclear side of the Department of Energy, the Smithsonian, National Gallery of Art, the Forest Service, uh, a lot of great things. Yeah. It was, it was smaller of the 13 subcommittees, only like $12 billion at the time. And, just. You know, defense was you know, 300 billion. So yeah. we were just a little guy, but it was great fun. Okay. And and a tremendous what? experience. Well, then I, he retired. I had, like everybody does, I was, became a lobbyist uh, in DC on K street, which was an unhappy experience and probably the best mistake I ever made. Uh, uh, got married and I wanted out of Washington. My wife and I did. Mm -hmm. She's a Tar Heel from North Carolina. So I, kept in touch with the Peregrine Fund, a local conservation group here, and they needed a fundraiser and a lobbyist. So I was their guy. <laughs> and that was, nine, we moved out here in 1992. And did you have any background in falconry or Peregrine or just no. a, an interest? But No, it was just conservation was an interest yeah. and the organization was an interest, but... It's kind of like uh, healthcare. And if you're external, there are yeah. plenty of people around that know about falcons and conservation. Plenty of people around that know about healthcare. What they need both, you know, I think, is how do we communicate that? How do we get yeah. that to the outside people so they understand what we do and why we do it and, and our needs and get them to ask that all important question how can I help? Well, <laughs> pick up your pen. <laughs> So at the Peregrine Foundation, is that what it's called? That I Peregrine right? Fund. Fund. Sorry, um, and I don't know. I don't know why my mind went here. So the Idaho State coin has the Peregrine Falcon on the back of it. Are you responsible for that decision? Well, uh, <clears throat> not exactly, but uh, Dirk Kempthorne did that <clears throat> uh, when he was governor and. Uh, my uh, oldest son, Jack, was sort of responsible for that. He, in fourth grade, his class got together and said they wanted to uh, make the Peregrine Falcon the state raptor. Mm -hmm. We were the first state in the nation to have a state raptor. So they gathered their group and went to the legislature and passed a resolution that the governor signed, and Peregrine Falcon became the state raptor. That must have been a proud dad moment. That's pretty cool. Most definitely. Yeah. Most definitely. And as time went on, uh, 
Dirk, Governor Campthorne decided to put the put the uh, Peregrine Falcon on the quarter. So not directly related, nothing I had to do with it, but yeah, it's got some fingerprints yeah. from the family. Oh, there's a tangential connection there. So um, any truth to the rumor that for a while it was the Velociraptor that was in the lead for the state uh, raptor? That was a distant second. Just, okay. just like everybody's <laughs> trying to name their kids, Reed and Jeff are a distant seconds. <sighs> I'm not even that high. I'm not even on the podium. So. Not, well, that, they're lying to me, too. No, Jeff's next on our list. <laughs> okay. And how long were you there at the Peregrine Fund? About uh, 10 years, 12 okay. years. And, uh, but I was always gone. It was, you know, they're headquartered here, but their projects are everywhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would, every time my kids would say, well, you, I can't do that. I'm out of town. Well, can you? I'm out of town. And one day Jack said, if you were in town, would you do this? Uh, I said, okay, uh, time to get a new job. And uh, Ed Dahlberg called me and said, you got to apply. So I applied and that was it. And how long have you been at St. Luke's now? Since 2004. Okay. So about two years. Yeah. Wait, wait a minute. (laughs) We're not good with this math thing, but almost 20. Yes. (laughs) Maybe it was was 2003, I think. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, and I, that the experience with your son, I can relate. I had a period of my career when I was traveling a lot and our second boy, he wasn't old enough to talk yet, but I think he would have said what your son said if he could, but there was like a year of his life where it was just a blur. Like I can't even remember, like suddenly he was walking and I'm like, when did that happen? And that was like a, an aha moment of like, yeah, this doesn't, some people can pull this off. I'm not one of those people. Right. There's no real intermission in life. You got to Stay for the whole show. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Okay. Um, well, that's, uh, that's, that's interesting. So is the hardware store, is it still there in Twin Falls? Is it still It is not. My father passed away a long time ago in 1988 and, uh, we kept, kept it, uh, the, the manager that was there managed it and kept it around. And then they got an offer for the, the building. Mom got an offer for the building and yep. sold it. And, uh, the manager then took the name and, bought a building and opened up a smaller hardware store. But it's kind of cool. Those, the folks that are in Twin Falls, it's, it was a Salvation Army. Now it's a food court. Uh, and we, downtown 210 South 2nd Street. And it's a food court there. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. 210 South South 2nd or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, we gave him a bunch of old memorabilia from uh, Mr. Kringle and other things that just hanging on the wall. So it's, it's, it was great that mom got whole and, and it was a Salvation Army. They do great things, but it's, it's, it's better that it's some place that everybody goes and has some memories of ours. Yeah, no, that's great. And just, it's neat to learn about your dad and that pioneer kind of spirit of like, you know, I'll go and then moving your family across country. And, and then you, you know, with that same spirit going back to Iowa to go to school and then to DC and then back here to Idaho, uh, that, that DNA you have, it's, it's who you are today. It's great. Well, thank you. Um, and for a while, it was the largest hardware chain in Idaho. There was, it was a tie. He had two, one in Jerome and one in Twin Falls. So uh-huh. <laughs> he called it a chain. It was two. <laughs> in the state of Idaho, like especially that part of Idaho, that's a chain. Yeah, for he sure. Was, he was correct. Okay, uh, Jeff, what do you, when you're not working, when you're not involved in your other kind of civic and community engagements, what do you do for fun to unwind and recharge? Well, I like to play golf. If, uh, and I which I, I think I do a lot of, but mm-hmm. it's never, never seems to be enough. 
How many days have you golfed this year? Uh, 41. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Give or take. Another prime number. Like, you see what we're doing here? Yeah. <laughs> like, there's a pattern here. This is incredible. Yeah, most definitely. But prime would be the keyword. <laughs> okay. Uh, just in Idaho, or do you travel to golf? No, I'll go anywhere. Yeah. No, I don't. Right. My wife is from North Carolina. So, obviously, a golf hub. Uh, I have some college buddies. And surprisingly, there's some good golf courses in Iowa. Okay. So, I think, let's see, in... A couple times in Arizona this year, a couple times in North Carolina, a few times in Iowa, even Idaho. Are you excited about Top Golf? Is that your favorite golf course that you're going to be able to? Not my favorite Top uh, <laughs> Golf course, but I think it's great. Yeah, and I look forward to it. Oh, I think we got cheated though. How so? Well, um, I've been to Top Golf in other towns, and they're three stories. Ours is only two. I, I, I think that's going to be a mistake. Well. It's yeah. under, underbuilt. My, my son's down in, in Utah in Vineyard, and they're building a Top Golf by his apartment, but it's also two stories. So I didn't oh. know if it's just maybe a new footprint that they've landed on, but maybe it's. Yeah. I like to watch videos of people at Top Golf who have um, oversubscribed and then fall off and land in the netting. Like that's. To me, that is that is the definition of Top Golf. And I'm not necessarily a good golfer, but the first time I went to Top Golf, I wondered why did they have those <laughs> nets? I, how would anybody end up there? And I then watched the same videos. That, <laughs> yes, yeah, people make choices, and choices have consequences. That's true. So, <laughs> and you have to account for those people. Uh, okay, very good. Um, Forty-one days. That's pretty good. And the year's not over. Like you can still. Yeah, it's getting close. Though. Okay. All right. Uh, so, would love to lo- learn a little bit more about. And for our listeners who may not, like me, just have a very loose understanding of what it means to be the VP of, of external relations, what does that mean? Like, what do you, I'm sure you don't have a typical day, but just like generally, uh, what are things that you do in your work day to day? Great question. Well, it's a, it's a dual role and I'm the, uh, it includes government affairs and the foundations, philanthropy. Uh, so I'm the lobbyist and the fundraiser. So when you see me walk in a room, you know, I want something. So, but don't run, but I'm the, uh, uh, lobbyist for St. Luke's and, and they run three of the foundations, uh, treasure Valley and magic Valley and Elmore, mm-hmm. which, which is great. Philanthropy is incredibly rewarding because you're, you're so many people are grateful for the care that St. Luke's provides and they want to give back somehow. And if you can connect those people's desires with our needs you can improve patient care significantly Mm -hmm. Uh, we just got an incredibly nice uh thank you card from uh the icu team in meridian and they their lights weren't quite right they were too bright or they were i can't remember exactly what it was but uh, we had some unrestricted funds that provided them with dimmer switches and they're just dimmer switches, but we got the nicest notes from that team about how important it was for them to have that. And that just kind of warms your heart. It's, it's the little things. It's also yeah. the big things. Yeah. You know, the children's pavilion was, uh, we raised $20 million for the children's pavilion. Uh, great new program that is unique to Ida was CAR T cancer therapy treatment uh, that just started this year. I raised a couple million dollars for that, and we're raising more. So it's it's pretty rewarding. Yeah, I think, and I've gone to one. They have the annual Kids for a Night um, gala, and our vendors are excited to support that. And you know, it's people want to give to your point, but in particular when it's a children's cause. Like it's just, it exponentially like 
everything about it feels better and seems better. Just you can raise money for anything you want, but in the hospital world, kids and cancer are the easiest things. Sadly, it's yeah. best to have cancer cured and kids healthy. Yeah. Well, it's it's great the work that you and the team do to to uh, just foster that philanthropy in the in the community and the benefit that provides for for everyone here. So thank you. Well, thank you. Your team has been wonderful at connecting us with vendors the right way. Just gives us an opportunity. To, here's what we do. Would you yeah. like to sponsor? And yeah. that's, that it's been wonderful. So yeah. Thank you. So when you think about your role as as a lobbyist. Um, like how do you how do you get guidance or how do you decide what are those legislative elements that are important to us and the ones we're going to then go and try and and influence or create understanding around how does that process work? Well, it's probably not as hard as you think, but we start every at the state level start every legislative session with three big objectives: we want to protect our tax exempt status, okay. we want to improve Medicaid. And we want to preserve our right to contract with payers, providers, or whomever that we want as we wish, as appropriate. So if you start with that basic premise, um, it's, it's, it's a lot of defense. There's not a lot that the government, this government can do for us, frankly. Mm-hmm. And there's not much that we really want them to do. Uh, the, we, the legislation we passed a few years ago that allowed for Medicaid to be in risk-based contract, well, that was pretty big. Uh, that's kind of behind us. Um, so it's it's more uh, leave us alone. Let us take care of people and don't make it more complicated than, than it already is. As Susan says, uh, Dr. Susan, we're the most regulated industry in the world, even more than nuclear power, which, okay, that's a stunner. So it is. If there's anything they can do, we'd, maybe less regulations, but that's probably not going to happen in the near term. So when you talk about the idea of, of playing defense uh, and those three kind of, you know, overarching objectives, it, is, is it a challenge each year? Like, do you really have to, like, go to battle to defend that? Or is there a general understanding uh, from legislations that, yeah, we're going to support this and this makes sense? No, it becomes really complicated very fast. Okay. Uh, you know, last year there was a big effort to uh, uh, put an assessment or a tax on hospitals. Uh there was additional money at the federal level. All the state needed was uh, was a tax or a match, and they decided it was great to tax the hospitals. And we'll give you part of this money, which is yours, but we want part of it ourselves. So uh, and we start out the process. They wanted all of it, and we ended up with they get a quarter of it, and we get two, three quarters of it. So you're just trying to narrow it down a little bit as they go as you go along, obviously the uh, Roe versus Wade, the Trigger Law, that was it's so uh, the abortion law in Idaho. That it's, if you read it in all the sections, it's in I think four different sections in the code. It reads like Frankenstein. It's been bolted together and mm-hmm. it's convoluted and confusing. And that's a big sore spot that we we really need to fix. And getting there will be. We'll have to thread a very thin needle if we're going to get there. But it's put everybody in a bad spot. Our physicians, our other clinicians, our patients. Uh, and uh, it's just, it just didn't need to end up like this. But here we are. So as we approach here in a couple of months, like the next the 2023 session, any particular thing that you've got your antenna up to listen for, kind of hone in on? 
the abortion thing for sure. We want to be aggressive and try to get that fixed. Um, uh, there's under the statute Medicaid expansion. There's uh, the Health and Welfare Committees are supposed to review that and make a recommendation. It doesn't provide any parameters on that recommendation, uh, but those two would, would be the biggest at this point. So, in a typical session, a typical year, are you at the state house like every day during the session, or what is that? What does your engagement look like? Well, uh, they're splitting my role, so I'm going to be full time lobbyist. So I'll spend more time at the legislature than in the past, and they're going to hire a replacement for the philanthropic side. Okay, so I will be there pretty much every day um, in, in the next session. And so I think that makes sense as you just described, like the complexities that we face today and in the future and how important it is, then that makes sense. The desire to then really have that role single threaded with an expert like yourself so that we don't miss kind of a beat in our ability to influence or at least to communicate to make sure that ideally an informed decision can be made when it comes down to it. That's exactly right. An informed decision. You wouldn't want anybody to decide to do something without all the facts and knowledge. So that's the point is to provide information. Uh, the uh, Medicaid expansion is, is a topic. We also have the value-based, risk-based contract with Medicaid um, that needs to be communicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, the new health plan needs to be communicated. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are big topics. And we have 50 new legislators of 105 that are coming in pretty green. Um, and, and some of them think they know how to run the show, and it'll be hard. Uh, there, if you notice, there's two wings. This is behind the scenes, but yeah. there are two wings in the Capitol, the Senate side and the House side. Okay. And if you go to the East Wing, the men's room and women's room, restrooms, the men's is on the left and the women's is on the right. And if you go to the West Wing, the, the Senate side, they're reversed. So 50 new legislators coming in, just making sure they know how to get to the right door to take care of business will be one challenge for everybody. <laughs> Okay. They may want to clip that out. I don't know. No, I think that's uh, that's we like that inside baseball kind of analysis. Um, I just think it's incredibly fascinating in the role you play to to do that. I didn't realize how much turnover we were going to have at this session. That is that is a lot, and that makes your job hopefully more fun despite the challenges that come. Do you have a, is there a counterpart you have at, at St. Al's or like at Kootenai? Like, is there a network of, of external relations experts for healthcare in Idaho? Oh, sure. Sure. There's uh, the Idaho hospital association. Brian Whitlock is, mm-hmm. is the CEO of that. He's incredible. Okay. Uh, Corey server is the lead person at St. Al's for their uh, advocacy efforts. Um, we also work very closely with the Idaho Medical Association. He's, you, you know, you got to leverage yourself. You don't want, yeah. and I don't like to do anything alone. You know, <laughs> golf's a foursome for a reason. So it's good to have great minds working together. And with 105 legislators, some people have better relationships yeah. with legislators than others. So you want to uh, uh, lead with your best foot forward. And do you find that your counterparts, that you're generally aligned on these issues and the way that you want to help influence the outcome? 95% of the things we're aligned on is just a question that you work through the strategy. How do we get from A to Z? Yeah. And that's always uh, something you need to talk through carefully. Yeah. Well, Jeff, I can't. You know, people sometimes tell me like, oh, I would hate to do your job. I'm glad that we have people that do the work you and your team do, but I just wouldn't want to do it. I kind of feel that way about your job. Like (laughs) I would just be so bad at it. And so I'm really grateful that we have 
people like you and you in particular uh, with the expertise to kind of navigate the relationships and the conversations and to do so in a way where, you know, you're doing what's right for St. Luke's, but also kind of understanding the broader picture. And, you know, sometimes what you're doing today may just be setting us up for something that happens a year or two down the road. And, you know, that's a game of chess that I think I would would lose really quickly. So thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. And I, uh, I have other lobbyists with me, uh, Sarah Betweiser, Martin Ribau and Mike Brassy. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not going solo and best kept secret is you could do my job, but I couldn't do yours. <laughs> well, we could, uh, we could debate that, but, uh, we'll just, we'll leave that there. Jeff, really appreciate your time. So fun to get to know a little bit more about your background and, uh, Kringle's hardware in particular, like, that story is going to stay with me. I just, I love that, that piece of Idaho that you, you know, your family has, um, that, that heritage in. We have, a our show, we have a tradition of giving our guests the last word. And so we're going to open the mic up to you to share whatever closing thoughts you may have for our listeners. Well, there's two vote early and often and give early and often. One of those is legal and the other one is not. So, uh, the philanthropic support is critical to St. Luke's. And if we don't give, if our boards don't give, employees don't give, then it's hard to engage the community. So it's always great to go out when you're raising money to be able to demonstrate how much support we have internally. So that's my philanthropic pitch. And thank you very much. I want to thank my guest today, Jeff Selig, Vice President of External Relations here at St. Luke's. If you have any recommendations for future guests on the show, please let me know. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, thank you for all that you do. Have a great day.